spidey senses tingling. Big show. He's the host uh, whose hair is starting to look like the titular Stephen King's It. He's slim. This is your Paper Keg Show, episode 209. Welcome to the show. My wife says that I'm giving off a distinct Richard Simmons vibe. <laughs> Uh, but we talk about comic books on this podcast. We do a book club. We all do the same book. We get together. We put down Arkham Knight and talk about it. Miracle Man, Volume Three. Give it up for them gangsters. There's dulcet tones. What a show we have planned for you. Miracle Man making his triumph? Return to the show with the original writer, you know, your friend and mine, Alan Moore. You know, we'll read your letters, close out the show, letters at paperkeg.com. But let's just get right into it. We have three living hosts right now. We all got Arkham Knight, and there's just one person that got it for the PS4. Won't mention any names. We can't really track his progress. We can't, you know, see what they're up to. He's a writer. He allegedly making no time for his family. He's at 40-some percent Arkham Knight. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, Jonesy Loves Beer. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I thought for a second, one fleeting moment, that I wouldn't get harangued by YouTube for getting it for PS uh, instead of Xbox. But you guys did not disappoint. And uh, you just shoved that swizzle S up my A about having oh it for PlayStation. Gosh. I appreciate it. Swizzle ass harangued. I mean, the thesaurus must have come packaged with your Arkham Knight well, special writer. edition. I think show writer over here. Yes, his PS4. He has you know some sort of sp- spiritual connection with, and it just <laughs> mother brain. <laughs> I don't know what kind of uh, photographs PlayStation has on you that you continue mm-hmm. to get these games on PlayStation, but it must be good. It must be real good. You know, our next host um, is going He's going through a lot this week, and uh, he's already got his ire way up, so he will be deflecting much of the haranguing from him onto me. That host tonight, the People's Champion, uh, your friend, our beloved Dale underscore right. Welcome to the show, Dale. Feels so good to be here, you know. After um, several days off, I I just you know I I need my fix, you know. Yeah. I need my vitamin M and vitamin J, <laughs> and uh, when I don't get that, you know, I get agitated. Yeah. And then when uh, you know I get criticized for you know, the percentage I am in a game, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know I'm, I did. I feel defenseless. 
<laughs> I feel defenseless. We're here to raise you up, you know, on Eagle's wings. It's what we're here to do. Before we get into the Arkham Knight talk, you know, I've been getting DM'd. I've been getting handwritten letters sent to me. Mm-hmm. People asking, you know, Matt at Slim, mm-hmm. Usagi Slimbo, can we get an update <laughs> from the other hosts of the show on uh, the health status? You know, the, whether it be Jawbonesy or Elliptical update, weekly update. Jonesy, can we start with you? You look fantastic. I feel great. You know, uh, you and I are engaged in a three-day duel, uh, which, let me tell you, is a an, an H of a motivator uh, to get that step count up. Uh, mm, usually, Jawbone tip, app. Typically on a Monday, I won't hit my seven miles because I have a lot of meetings and seven things miles. to do, but 15,000 steps today, bud. You, you lit the fire under my A, and I was happy to I know, answer I'd that sent, call. I sent the dual invite Sunday, uh-uh, early Bobby. Sunday. Uh-uh. And Jonesy, yeah, I sent it way early, I remember it. And then Jonesy decides not to accept it until I'm done my 5K run. <laughs> he accepted it at like midnight, you know, or no, you accepted it at like 9 a.m. So I was already at work. So all that step from Sunday was just null and void for this duel. So you're already on the up and up. You're ahead by like 5,000 mm-hmm. yeah, steps. Yeah, there is a modicum of strategy to it. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I feel great. I think, uh, knock on wood, and I hope this isn't a, uh inherited-like announcement, but uh, I think I'm ready to sign up for some martial arts classes and really get into core exercises and uh, really just wow. push the, the plateaus this summer. I'd love to, by the time my second son is born, to be down to like 220. That's only about 35 pounds away. So have you crossed the plateau that was giving you trouble or are we still there? I'm like, I was 258 and then I didn't really do a lot of stuff over the weekend. I was back up to over 260. Come on, Jonesy. I know it's killing me inside. Come on. So I I don't know if it's just one of those things where I walk so much now that my body is just so used to that exercise that the weight's not coming off. And I really just have to do something to shock myself into a new routine. So that's where I'm hoping like the the martial arts will definitely help with the activity level and kind of get some of my range of motion back. Because, you know, you've been heavy for a long time. You don't stretch and move the way you used to when you were where young. Does, uh, where does falconry fall into uh, the shock to I, the system I think, to lose weight? Uh, falconry is the first martial art, I think, if you go back to <laughs> ancient China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Japan, I mean, the uh, just this pose here is uh, to catch the falcon might be the start of karate itself, or karate, as yeah. I'm told it's called. Now, Dale, you know, when we first started this topic, you shifted off screen. Uh, is How is the elliptical doing these days? You know, the the elliptical is up there. I haven't been on it recently. I've been taking walks to the coffee shop at work. In lieu, but the, the elliptical, I, I I haven't reintegrated it back. You know, I just can't. I, I don't know where the time Have is going. Have you completed but... more than twelve percent of the elliptical? <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry. There twirling his fate, the Masonic <laughs> ring that's not on his finger right now because he thinks he's so on point with his game, and I, I I'm just at the the uh, the beating end. <laughs> You know, we'll move on. We don't have to dwell on anything, 
you know, the, I real I think there's there's a lack of lighting happening in your in your basement right now. It's really setting a sour mood. Mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. what's happening. It's a sign. But we need I'm to like, get into the Arkham Knight talk. You know, the game that has set the world aflame. Mm. That could be, I mean, not could be. I think it's easily the best comic book related video game ever made. Without a doubt. I agree with what that. What could possibly statement. be number two? <sighs> the first Arkham Asylum, maybe? X2 Wolverine's Revenge. Oh, man, that game was awesome. <laughs> I even thought X-Men Origins Wolverine was very good. Better the movie, certainly. I don't think I ever really played that one. I think I played the demo mm-hmm. of Best that one. comic book video game. Teenage, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time was a good one. So how, your Jonesy's like 99% done the game. <laughs> I don't know how he has time. His family, who knows what the status of his family is right now. His pregnant wife probably, you know, cooking, mopping the floor at the same time with like a broom in between her toes. And Jonesy's, you know, lounging about. <laughs> Son asleep in his closet because he rolled out of bed <laughs> while Jonesy plays Arkham Knight. I uh, I went ahead and got him a uh, a cloth. Uh, what do you call that bar? Whatever Rag it is, <laughs> kid catching neck. They call it. I think self adhesive ragum. <laughs> he just takes care of himself when when you're in mid glide in <laughs> Arkham City. <laughs> oh boy! But yeah, everyone was just jerking their wad. All over this game, everyone got it. So I, I, we had a sit down talk. My wife and I, mm-hmm. we were able to purchase the game. I've been playing it. That's good. You know, she controls the finances. Yeah, that's just how it works in this house. But whew, tell you what, there's nothing more enjoyable than just gliding over Gotham City. Oh yeah, for like thirty minutes. You know, you have a marker that it's across the city on an island. You better believe I'm going to catapult to the top of that building and just glide all the way over there. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Let me tell you, I, I tweeted as much, but sometimes I like, like the. I mean, it's amazing how big the open world is, but like there's five bridges or maybe three bridges, I'm not sure. But I would just climb to the top of Founders Bridge and just watch those two Zeppelins just kind of move oh, yeah. around, and my back cape is just kind of like whipping in the wind. And, you know, people are like, help, please save me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm just watching this right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, incredible graphics. And the the atmosphere of the game is, is very hard to describe because it's so perfect. Mm-hmm. I the, the rainy weather is just a, a beautiful touch. It, it just makes Gotham. Yeah. I didn't realize it was so open world when I got it. But it's like it's like... I don't want to say GTA, but because GTA comes with like preconceived notions, but it very much is a GTA Four. Or what was the most recent? One? Was it Five? GTA Five. Five. Yeah. It's very much like GTA Five. You you choose whatever mission you want to do, and you can just lounge about if you want. You can just drive the Batmobile around the city. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just care. find crowds of people to smash with my bat fists, <laughs> and then I just go about my day. <laughs> Yeah, the without trying to uh, give anything away in the main story, when you get the Batmobile, it like legit makes you seem like you're a force, like hell on wheels, mm-hmm. like eighty nine Batman when he takes to the streets in his Batmobile, and everybody knows it's Batman. Oh yeah, and you can hear them talking like as you drive by. 
They're like, oh, there he is. It's Batman. Let's get out of here. Yeah, it's it's amazing how the sound is just the sound of the Batmobile is something so unique that it just it it just give like makes you want to keep driving it and causing destruction and protecting GCPD by getting you know cars off their tail. It's just it's really amazing what they did. I don't know if it's the sound or the driving mechanics or you know the proper amount of flame out of the back end of it, but everything in combination just makes it seem like you are something totally unique when you're inside the Batmobile. I spoilers you get the Batmobile in this game. <laughs> I uh I said before the show and I think it bears repeating. This is one of those few games that I think you could do without a guide 100%. Hmm. Like I don't know and I don't think it's easy by any stretch of uh any stretch of the imagination but I just find the puzzles so I don't know if they're workable like uh like Batgirl's workable legs but uh I mean they're just you can just figure it out and if you can't figure it out the first try it's fun to like come back to it and, fi- yeah. and figure it out again like I never want to throw my remote in frustration cuz I don't get something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the uh I was talking to Gen Z off air about one scene where a character, there's two, there's at least two scenes that like made me poop a little bit because I was shocked. And there's just certain moments where you like turn around as your character and there's another character that shows up out of nowhere. Like that's, it's like an open living world and the, and it's, it probably isn't that living, but they just timed the appearances Mm -hmm. of certain story arcs into the open world that it just seems like the greatest thing ever. Yeah, because your just your rotation of the right stick. If you're looking, you're staring at a wall. You rotate right to to look back around, and the entire scenery has changed. Like you're because you're in a, some sort of mindscape, and the character's just there when you know he wasn't there a second ago in that in that room. Is just how seamless the transition is from holy crap, he's there. You know, when seconds later it was just a room. There's a one moment in the game that I'm pretty sure I can give away without spoiling, but that character you're speaking about, you're in a room and like looking through a glass wall at a scene that has just happened. And the camera perspective like leaves you staring through this glass wall. But like I was just toying around with the R stick and the other character was just in the corner with his hands folded, (laughs) leaning up against the wall in the shadow. Like you had to look for him and at a certain point in the dialogue, he just stepped out of the shadows and started moving towards you. So there's a logic inside the game that places this character at a starting point that you don't necessarily, if you're not looking for it, you're not going to find it. Which I thought is crazy. Like, they could just make him pop out wherever. But yeah. instead, he's he's part of the environment and, and interacts with it. I mean, it's this game is so crazy good. And... Each location, like, there were parts in, in like, uh, what can I relate it to? In the first Arkham Asylum game where I thought the coolest part was you discovering that built-in Batcave underneath Arkham Asylum. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm in a Batman game and I'm in the Batcave and I can interact with it. This game feels like every building is like that Batcave. Like, everything is a treasure for you to discover. Like, the gray ghost posters that are all over the city... Like, there's just so mm-hmm. much to, like, interact with. I don't even know, even after I complete the main story, is there enough time in the day to find it all? 
Yeah, Batman um, using his huge 12-inch video monitor arm, forearm to uh, call out Tim Drake instead of By Robin. Name. He's like, Tim, be careful over there. You know, assuming Robin has something similar, anybody who's around Batman or Tim now knows. <laughs> and, and then Lucius Tim. and Alfred just call him Bruce. Like, oh, yeah. let's just say I'm a thief that spent $300 in some kind of microphone apparatus that I'm just tracking. <laughs> right. I'm hoping one day Batman shows up in this area in the Narrows and I can just listen to everything he says. I now know who Batman is. I know his whole operation <laughs> because he's a dope and everyone that works with him are dopes. Alfred, I Bar- told you Barbara our call sign is both first name, last name, and social security number in that order. There's the uh, he goes to see Lucius at some point in Wayne Tower, and you're walking around. Lucius is like Bruce, 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 this and that. <laughs> and then I flip on detective mode, which gives you like the infrared, which is amazing because yeah, you the need marketing that. campaign says you can be Batman, but like certain missions, you're like, okay, let's flip on detective mode, see what I can find here, and that, you are Batman. But like he's walk <laughs> he's walking around in Wayne Tower. I flip on detective mode to see if there's anything cool around, and I see the the outline of someone like the front desk person through the doors. So I was like, Hmm, I'm dressed as Batman. I'm in his, I'm in his <laughs> office. I wonder what happens if I go and open this door. And then I think Batman or Lucius says like, probably not a smart move since I'm dressed as Batman. Like, oh, well, this dope has been calling me Bruce for the past 20 minutes. Right. Like what's the difference at this point? Tim, Tim Drake, if your father's home, uh, <laughs> tell him to get out of the apartment. Tim, <laughs> Tim. Oh wait, does, that, does that happen and, in the and, game? And, uh, no, no. Oh. Just, but he calls him Tim. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so Jonesy, are you far enough into the main? What percentage are you of the Arkham Knight storyline? Because uh, it shows you what percentage I think. I, I, I think I'm total. I think I'm only like thirty percent. Uh, so what? What did you just last triangulated his whereabouts? Right. Yeah, I went uh, somewhere. And use some computer to either find out where he's broad. I think find out where he's broadcasting from. Let me ask you this question: Is a certain character missing? As, does a her cer- name? Does she have workable legs? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, main, my main question is: If have you have seen the part where they reveal who the Arkham Knight is? No, I'm not that far yet, but okay. I'm I'm almost certain that my previous. I feel like that's like the safest guess, right? In the in the world, yeah. So I'm wondering if it's a swerve, or I think it'll still work if your guess is correct. I think it'll work very well. Obviously, I'm just excited for my first prediction in Paper Cake history to be correct. I mean, you didn't really go out on a limb. I I'll know I picked this, it was a safe bet. It was a really safe bet. <laughs> I think this will make up for Hush, the Hush faux reveal that wasn't actually the real reveal. This is all going to make up for it. I hope so, because I could have put dollars of donuts that was Damian Wayne. <laughs> has well let me ask you this question because i never played the other batman games and we do have a book club to get to Miracle we? Man. <laughs> uh was any of the other robins alluded to in the other storylines has it always been tim drake and dick grayson and nobody else it's i think nightwing was in arkham city and uh tim drake was alluded to but he wasn't present in the game so they never talked about the other no. character. And Arkham Margins was a pre uh, prequel, so so I don't. I there don't, you have it. I don't know. I I'm excited though. <laughs> excited. All right, let's get to this thing here. Miracle Man Volume Three. 
we talked about the first two trades previously. I remember it being, uh, well, we can get into it, but so this is the third volume. I think it officially hit digital in a collected format. So this is the Alan Moore version. I think this trade is the first official trade, um, that he came back to after he kind of became like a star writer because I think the book went on hiatus for a while and then he came back to it. But uh, Jonesy Loves Beer, what is Miracle Man and what is Miracle Man Volume 3? Volume 3, uh, named Olympus, or as I uh, I like to call it, Olympically Mistreating Women, as much as uh, Alan Moore is wont to do. Uh, but Miracle Man Volume 3, once uh, we left Mike Moran, uh, he had put the genie back in the bottle and Kid Miracle Man was trapped in the mind of his primary body, Johnny. He had uh, had a sired a child uh, in his Miracle Man form with his wife. And pretty much the world was in an okay place. A group of aliens who we find out are responsible for the technology that allowed Gargunza to make uh, these secondary clone super bodies uh, were shadowing uh, Mike. So we open on volume three and the aliens pounce on uh, Miracle Man in order to uh, suss out or destroy the last known super being on the planet. Uh, in the middle of that confrontation, they read his mind and they realize that there's a hybrid hybrid child now on Earth, half uh, half miracle, half human. So the tone of the book shifts almost immediately, and now the Earth is caught up in a galactic struggle between these two races. Uh, one are the warp smiths. And the, I think the, I want to say quiche, because it's K-Y-S, but I'm pretty sure it's not a quiche. Uh, the Kois, and they are responsible for giving the alien races the ability to clone a perfect body and then shift into it. So we kind of get the backstory of how the Miracle Man powers were actually originated. And uh, Miracle Man is also saved by Miracle Woman, who was a, like, is prototype the the right word? She was, like, the black ops experiment that was going on at the same time as the government-sanctioned Miracle Man op. So they kind of meet, and you find out that Gargunza had another set of superhumans that he kind of toyed with. And you learned, of course, that because this is an Alan Moore book, that... Gargunza was a, a rapist of both men and boys, and there's some decrepit sexual element about the book that <laughs> is probably not necessary, but certainly present. Um, so while Miracle Man is kind of being briefed by these alien races who now want to welcome Earth uh, into the galactic picture, but only as observers, uh, meanwhile on Earth, Johnny... Of course, is getting a uh, you know hard hard by the rest of the juvenile delinquents he's in this det- uh, detention center with. So of course his mind breaks. He releases Kid Miracle Man, and while regular Miracle Man 
is jaunting about in space, you know, getting it on with Miracle Woman. Uh, Kid Miracle Man basically just lays waste to London and makes it a smoking crater full of skinned bodies and flayed humans and random body parts just in a small orbit around the city. And, I mean, the book takes a, a super left turn. And at that point, Miracle Man and Miracle Woman are just like, you know what? F this. We're just going to take over. They uh, take they take over the planet. They become the the gods of Earth, and they essentially try to evolve the human race to become gods with them. You know, essentially changing the cosmology of the planet and every living thing on it. And they're kind of left bored, and that's how Volume Three ends. Huge mm. quasi cliffhanger. But but. Yeah, I guess it is a quasi cliffhanger, but I think it was a it was a stopping. Alan Moore is off after that, so I mean, Alan are we Moore. to believe that's the end of the story, according to Alan Moore? Well, Neil Gaiman takes over, and I have no idea what happens, but I can't. I, I just heard vague rumors of like Neil Gaiman's run takes place like far into the future, maybe or something. Or yeah, and I I read that. Neil Gaiman's run focused more on people living in this utopia that mm. they created. That feels like something that Neil Gaiman would yeah. love to do. Mm. And that was the I think it was the only run he got to finish because then Eclipse Comics went out of business and he wanted to finish more, but they didn't. Todd McFarlane bought Eclipse Comics. All that bad stuff happened. And isn't Neil Gaiman writing new... Miracle Man comics, like when this finishes out its existing run, I think he's got stuff coming out. Like mm-hmm, the numbering yeah. continues. I think that was the big promise that they would eventually have Neil Gaiman bring back what he always intended to finish writing, which is fantastic. Right. Um, so this, this 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 was way different than way different Volume One and Two, and I remember saying that because I think I went back and read Volume Three when we were done recording episode for volume one and two and it was like a different book entirely yeah i mean this is alan moore at full beard i mean at no point (laughs) is anyone trying to stop alan moore from just doing whatever pops into his head so dale what did you think what did you think of uh, one and two volume because i can't remember and then what did you think of volume three yeah i think uh, i was actually trying to think that too um i remember one and two being like the it had a lot of potential but it didn't quite hit marks that we i think we expected Alan Moore to take it but towards the end of volume 1 or volume 2 i think it started to show like promise that it was more than a weird 80s comic like it it i think the potential was there that it was going to start running deeper and deeper and then this book just comes and what is it six seven six issues seven issues just completely is like the most ambitious comic i've might have might have ever read <laughs> just the what it covers yeah it's almost like remarkable like the first two volumes were at like a fifth grade reading level and this one is like college philosophy thesis 207 yeah it's not even the 100s but but it's it and it and it reads like that i mean there's a lot of words but 
it all makes sense. If you read each and every panel, as loopy as it's as it starts to sound, it all makes sense. I mean, he's just using these descriptors to describe. I mean, the the most mundane stuff in the story, but he, the the words he picks and chooses are like magnificent <laughs> works of art. Mm-hmm. And this, this reminded me of the Swamp Thing that I love, like the Alan Moore Swamp Thing era, where he's putting. It's like this. It's a style of writing that I think is very difficult, and I make fun of all the time for Hickman and Ellis, mm-hmm. but Alan Moore you know, he does it so well that like, it just turns me to ooze when I read it because it just fits so perfectly in every situation that he writes. And that's why I like was excited when I first started reading volume three and I was like, man, where was this in volume one and two? And then it's just so crazy how it shifts into a totally, and like ambitious is the perfect word because it, it like fast forwards and miracle man is like the the bad stuff with Kid Miracle Man has already happened, and he's kind of like hearkening back to it, and he's just thinking alone by himself, and it's just like Alan Moore just writes him in his thoughts for like basically six issues. And the name of the book Olympus is just perfect because by the end of the six issues or seven issues, I mean, Miracle Man makes no bones about it. He is in charge. And him with the rest of his pantheon of gods, which is uh, Miracle Woman and um, Fire Firebox, <laughs> Fire Drake, a couple others, <laughs> Fire Drake. <laughs> he, uh, I mean, the, the ambitiousness kicks in because um, Kid Miracle Man comes back in a most in what could have been. And was quite disturbing. It was disturbing as it was. It could have been ten times worse if you think about it. But it was reserved. But yet it's still like when they showed shots of people running in the streets. And it was raining hands and feet on them. Cue to other panels with people missing hands and feet. Like strung up with barbed wire. I mean it was gruesome. Yeah. And it, and the Kid Miracle Man is Miracle Man's main villain. And it's essentially, like, if you haven't read it, it's just like Captain Marvel, Shazam. Like, they say atomic backwards, and they become this super being. So the kid, you know, and they're they're kind of, they, they stole this alien technology so that the super body that they take is just actually just kind of in a stasis in this other realm. So this kid is actually housing this super villain, Kid Miracle Man, like this grown man, and this kid is like, keeping him inside of him because he knows that if he ever changes, this guy is just going to destroy and rape and pillage everyone that's ever near him. And the problem is this kid is like bullied incessantly and he's in this like uh, foster care where nobody believes him that he's housing this supervillain in his body that will just do every crossed issue imaginable if he ever gets out. <laughs> and then finally he gets to a Perfect. point where these kids are hassling him to the point where they, like, make him drop his pants and they're just going to, dist- like, you know, he's going to get it, unfortunately. And then he can't take it anymore. And he finally says uh, the magic words and the evil Kid Miracle Man is unleashed. And, like, oh, God, you just feel, like, so torn in this scene. Like, 
the mm-hmm. the evil that he unleashes at this point is like so worth it to destroy these kids. But then he's out and he murders like this is like nineteen eighties and it's an issue of crossed, essentially what he does yeah. to London <laughs> oh, for yeah. like twenty pages. Uh, and Matt, what was that what must that have been like in nineteen eighty nineteen eighty five when this issue came out? Like it was dark reading it. It's still dark. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I how about the fast forward to the ending, uh, where uh Miracle Man and Miracle Woman stop Kid Miracle Man and they get him to say the words and he reverts back to little Johnny and he's standing next to Miracle Man and Miracle Man's Hey Johnny, um <laughs> not to worry. <laughs> but I have discovered a method in which to free you of this curse and ensure that Kim Miracle may have never come back. Right. And a kid, little Johnny's it, like, you little Johnny's sure? like, oh my god, what a relief! My life has been a hell, and you know I can't take it anymore. And you, uh, and he like the panel is just the kid unburdening all the stress, and the Miracle Miracle Man literally just like side hugs him with super right. strength and pops his head off. Surprise! You're dead. It's like it's like uh, Will Smith in I Am Legend with that poor dog of his, Marley. Oh. I mean, it was that brutal. He's just like squeezing him to squeezing the life out of him, and that's how he that's how he had to ensure in his new utopia. I mean, and, the, after that, the book just goes bananas, and he's just like, you know what? I I have this Congress of other alien races. We're going to take this planet to the next level, and that's it. The, yeah, the first panel no where so. he's like speaking with the uh, the British government, and she's like, uh, you know, what, what what about the money? And like the um, the lady in charge is like, what about the money? He's, he's like, what money? And he stares at her, and he just like punks her, punks her down, <laughs> and that's it. The beginning of a new era. It, it, the line was. I, something I feel like, like I feel like we have to. I, I hate talking about that one issue continuously, the the crossed issue. Mm-hmm. But the, I mean, right after you had said he he kills this kid, I mean, right before he shifted into Kid Miracle Man, he was like about to get sexually assaulted, and when he switches back, his pants are still around his ankles, Ugh. like and Kid Mir- and Miracle Man is like hugging him, and then after he smashes his head in, Miracle Man is just hugging this kid in this just crazy juxtaposed panel of hugging this kid. His bare ass is, is hanging out as they sit atop this pile of London corpses and Miracle Man is just like weeping. <laughs> like, and then the next page is a splash page of like a mother with no arms crying tears of blood with her two children through London. Can you imagine like, getting those evil notes? that was unleashed. Can you imagine being the artist and getting those notes from Alan Moore? <laughs> Oh man! Like draw the most dark, <laughs> just like with full of despair scene you could possibly imagine that you would give nightmares to anyone reading this comic, and then intensify and make that a splash page. Make that a double page spread, please. But what you were talking about, Dale, it was so amazing to see Alan Moore in the '80s write. Okay, superheroes have taken over. What would their ideal Earth be at this point if they can't trust us dopey humans to run things? Because we've obviously failed at it so far. Yeah, and that's where he spends every panel, paragraphs of words to cover a lot of the basics, <laughs> which includes like rebuilding structures in, in their vision, uh, creating superhumans, 
with superhuman sperm that's frozen and starting like that whole process. It, it, he changes the face of everything and he loves it. He's absolutely fine with it. It's not like there's any of this question about morality. He, uh, Alan Moore covers that with, you know, obviously the, uh, the political parties having huge problems with it, but Miracle Man doesn't go near it because in his heart of hearts, he knows this is just the way it is. He doesn't question it. He doesn't uh, philosophize about it. He just, that's it. Yeah. And just to read the ambition of where it goes and where he leaves it is just, is remarkable. I mean, the the technology, like you brought up, Warren Ellis, is very futurist. Like, uh, he's like a futurist, and he's he's coming up with, like, these androids that are kind of coexistent, and he's bringing back people kind of from the dead who, if you've been dead for less than 18 months, they can kind of take your soul and put it in these androids, and these androids kind of live in the in this mechanical underworld that was created by an android one of the android gods it's just crazy crazy stuff so satisfying there that line that scene you were describing earlier dale like i think it made me even do a double take when i was reading it but uh when miracle man is talking to like i don't know she's like the president of the un i forget her title but she's like, okay, Miracle Man, now, if we choose to do this, and he's just like, if? And you're just yeah, like, yeah. damn, he is not, <laughs> yeah. he, like, there's, he's it. not even being nice about it. And he goes to visit his uh, wife, which earlier in the arc left him because um, he, his wife was feeling very uneasy. He thought the baby, she thought the baby was manipulating her thoughts, which it turns out she, the baby was because Winter, the infant, was, you know, basically a god and had could speak and fly and everything but he tries to go visit one liz one last time the human his human wife and it's like liz we could with this new plan i have you could be one of us and she's just like keeps it keeps it totally on the real and human she's like what and while you're out screwing miracle woman in you know in the sky because everybody got to everybody in london got got to witness them yeah really worst doing it ever. naked in the sky and I think that that was such a like if you come up he's like omnipotent and he even says that as much mm-hmm. but if you come up with like one flaw he like doesn't understand the simplest form of love this woman who was married to his alter ego is going through like some serious postpartum depression and he is just like totally oblivious as to why it's happening and how to fix it like they eventually separate and even his godlike daughter who is you know it is so intelligent and advanced than both of them has been trying to like calm her moods and it's mm-hmm. not working so she leaves and she did this she did this amazing analogy i'm trying to find a screenshot but it's not working but she compares their marriage to like some form of bestiality because she feels you know, like a dumb cow. She, like she, a, yeah, and then he, she's like, it's not because he's like a superhuman. It's because she feels like she's so inferior to what he has become that she has to leave. And then he continues that, like, just obliviousness when he's like, oh, we've developed this way to make people gods if they want to. So I've come to offer you that. You know, now you can be just like me. And she's like, what the F are you talking You don't even get right, it. Get right. out. 
Like, I just felt like I wanted to punch him in the face. I was so annoyed. But, I mean, there's just so many panels in this book where, like, reading 30 pages of Alan Moore reshape our future if superhumans existed was just, like, a total delight. And because it all made sense. Get rid of money. Nobody needs money. We'll give you clothes, entertainment, food, whatever you want. But if you want to, if you want some bonus stuff, you can have a job and you might get, I can't remember what they said that was, but like, if you want more, you can get a job, but you don't need, you don't need to get money. There's no such thing. And I was just like, Oh God, I love it. Give me more Alan, please. A couple um, of pictures I took while I was reading and one does happen during the crossed issue, but um, he de- he describes what uh, Kid Miracle Man was doing as uh, those hours that he had crammed with centuries of human suffering, those narrow side streets filled with miles of pain, having exhausted all the humdrum cruelties known to man quite early in the afternoon, he had progressed to innovations unmistakably his own. There was um, the one conversation where Winter, his daughter, um, starts speaking. She's like, out of the crib, after his wife leaves, she's like, (laughs) I think we should have a talk, Father. And it's like the speech bubble's coming from the crib. And she's like flying. She's super intelligent. And there was one point where he says that I love you to Winter. And then Winter, the infant, is like, I know. And he, he makes like a point to mention that like, why did she say I know that's like it, that that conveyed the total separation of this love in this family like there was none and the my favorite issue was when he starts to realize that things were breaking down and he's doing the dance in his uh in his kind of like palace I think that I can't remember if that was silence or not yeah his palace in the Mariana Trench was silence and the whole issue, he's just doing this dance and talking about his life, and it was just so gorgeous. And I've never read a comic book like that before, while this this kind of emotional uh, speech is happening at the same time. And while this is happening, Winter leaves. Winter is like, I need to go. Like, you can't do anything for me. I'm I'm already more advanced than you. So she leaves. His wife leaves. And then his alter ego you know, sits through this and and see, and saw the wife leave. So while he's going through this dance, his alter ego just goes up to the top of the mountains, takes his clothes off, and leaves a note. And, you know, saying, you know, he he leaves, like, the dates of, like, you know, Mike Moran, you know, a, you know, born here, died 1986, rest in peace. Mm. So he's, like, he's given up. He's like, don't, yeah. for lack of a better phrase, don't ever transform back into me. I don't want to come back to this life. And I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, crazy. And Miracle Man just takes full advantage. He's like, now I have more time to create Olympus. Ugh. God. It's just a, such a surprising ending. I mean, it's so crazy to think where the the it started and where it ends up is just the craziest journey of a comic ever. It's it's, it's amazing. Definitely worth it for definitely worth reading the first two to finish reading the third. The uh, there were some great quotes where like even the first issue where the two aliens confront him, and it's revealed that these aliens were the ones that crash landed on Earth, where the psycho doctor stole their technology to make this kind of Captain Marvel switcheroo, and they damage 
the vocal cords of one of the aliens so they can't change back and they like stop the battle. They're like, okay, let's have a truce. I need to get my lover mm-hmm. back to our home planet to save them. Um, but there was some great, there's just like some classic Alan Moore, like when they're fighting, he's talking about this animal that's like fighting with him. And he's like, the brute crouched upon my chest, grinding sparks from its jaws. They showered hot upon my cheek, upon the petrol of my desperate rage. There's just some just beautiful writing in this book. Mm-hmm. And, it would. It reminded me of Swamp Thing. I mean, Swamp Thing is just all that. So I'm anxious for us to talk about Swamp Thing. But yeah, I, I don't even think I read this. The issue where they shaped the planet to their liking when I first read Volume Three. Maybe that issue hadn't been out yet. But whew, I loved it. That's all there is to it. But he, uh, like uh, to Jonesy's point from earlier, how there was some. I mean, there was rape at every angle and, and, and like the basis of these characters, like uh, Miracle Woman, mm-hmm. Kid, was it one guy's name, Kid Nasty Man? Yeah, Young Nasty Man. Young Nasty Man. Like these people were just sexually assaulted at every angle and shaped. I mean, they most of them turned, out, turned into just, you know, psychos and who can blame them? I wonder if I just random can't. side thought. I wonder if Tenacious D. <laughs> I, I was thinking that about, too in their song Wonder Boy. Yeah, because of Young Nasty Man. <laughs> and and also uh, just uh, randomly in the volume is the 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 newest Miracle Man material, which is the all new Miracle Man Annual, which is like a super short story by Grant Morrison, and then um, Peter Milligan and Mike Allred do a story too. How about um I will I will say that uh I think the artist's name is John Tottlebaum. Mm-hmm. He his art he did uh, the majority of the Swamp Thing run. And I don't know what it is about his art. It felt perfect in this book, but I feel like that art just doesn't wouldn't translate well to today. Like if this was a new series coming out with that mm-hmm. art, I don't think it would be as good or people would hold it in high regard, but I just felt like it was perfect. And it's interesting because I was looking through the the back matter, the hardcover. I don't know if this is in digital too, all the back matter, but he did updated covers for all yeah. the issues. I like I like the original covers too. I thought the original covers were better in in most cases. Yeah, I I was just I thought it was awesome that you know this this artist who you don't really hear about, like they tapped him to do these updated covers, which is which was really cool. Mm-hmm. So now, Jonesy, did you did you enjoy the volume? I can't remember oh, what yeah. your opinion was earlier. Definitely, I, I I didn't sigh there, so don't put that on the that list. Was a, that was a patented Jonesy. I sigh. I stopped myself mid sigh. I I definitely enjoyed this volume. I will say, issue eleven was a slow start for me. Like I read issue eleven, I was like. Uh, let me try to remember what's going on and where are these two mm-hmm. aliens coming from? But then, like, issue 12 just starts this inexorable pace that, like, you can't, you got to keep reading. Like, I read I read 11 and then, like, came back to 12, like, the next day, and I just had I had to read 12 to 16. I had to find out where mm-hmm. it was going because it was, it just picked it up and, and ran with it. I think, to put it in perspective, a book that came out in 86, 87, 
and to be this dark at a time when comic books were just kind of exploring that darkness for the first time. I mean, I think 87 is when The Dark Knight Returns came out. So, like, everybody was kind of dipping their toe in this darkness pool. And this might have been, like, where things like Irredeemable came from. And, like, books that I love in this current generation, most, you know, more likely inspired by more and Miracle Man, and it's nice to see where the source material is. And in that regard, I, I really enjoyed it. It was just, it was great. I mean, I feel like I say that a lot. I just cut through all my opinions and just tell everybody it was, hey, it's a good book. But I really mean it. I mean, it's an experience that you're going to want to have as a modern comic reader to go back and read this volume that sets up a lot of the writers that you love today, like Warren Ellis, you know, like planetary, like the seeds of planetary can be sown here in Miracle Man, where he was not afraid to go left of everything everybody knew in comics. He took it to the, you know, the next level, the next direction. And to see that jumping off point is, is something to witness. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a really well laid out story. This is the stuff that you just, you know, Alan Moore's good, but then you read the stuff kind of like maybe not a lot of other people have read in the grand Alan Moore scheme of things. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have read this because of Alan Moore, but it's cool to like be justified in your thinking that he's amazing, which is why a lot of people think he's amazing. Mm. Miracle Man volume three we got your letters i'm gonna open them up farrington's gonna read them to you letters at paperkeg.com you want to shoot us a letter we might read it on the era first letter uh, titled, In Regards to Batwoman Elegy. Uh, our friend Gary Anchetta writes, Another great show, just a few things. Uh, one, Maggie Sawyer is a great character. She uh, was originally from John Byrne's Superman reboot as the head of Metropolis's Super Crimes Unit, where she was the tough-as-nails cop with Armani dress suits and Jack Kirby weaponry. I remember them being very subtly hinting about her being a lesbian. She was divorced with a teenage daughter and had a friend who was also a reporter for the Daily Planet she would sunbathe with on the top of her apartment building. She was also a mainstay in Superman the Animated Series where Maggie and her girlfriend would appear on occasion, making him the first lesbian couple in a cartoon for children. Uh, two, if you like Rucka's run on Gotham Central, and we do, let me recommend Rucka's Checkmate run. It has all the neat bits from Gotham Central, i.e. the politics and protocol policing paranormal perps, but in the context of a world staged by replacing the noir of detective work with detective work with a noir of spycraft. As always, please continue producing more perfect paper keg podcasts. <laughs> I think he was trying to get me you on what, that last sentence. Gary and Chetta completely sold me on checking out Checkmate because of Greg Rucka and his pitch for the book I thought it sounded amazing and maybe in the fall after the summer of Swamp Thing we'll just put that on the list I love how our list just keeps growing and it'll never end you know what I mean 
I do. There's so much and so little. To, like you always want to get to the next thing, put that next in line. There's so many things that are next in line. My wife actually gave me some suggestions, but I told her to email in the show, so I don't know if she is or has. But she wanted us to read Promethea mm-hmm. by Alan Moore. She's mm-hmm. reading that. She wanted to know what the status was of the other options in our survey, namely Saga. She wants to know when we're doing Saga, whether that will be before or after uh, Summer of Swampy. But I can't remember the other ones. Oh, well, girls. we did Secret Warriors. She wanted us to do Girls from the Brothers Luna. We did that. Oof. We did, we've done them twice in the past four years. <laughs> <laughs> That's my vote, I think, to do the entire run of Girls at some point soon. Um, next up is a good friend of the show, at Protolexis on the Twitter. He writes in with three haikus. The first one titled Hiatus. Left for a minute. That format change hard ard me. And I liked it. Uh, that's beautiful haiku. Uh, part of Lexus. <laughs> Next up, titled Black Sad. Anthropomorphic. This is what dreams are made of. Favorite book ever. Wow. Man, black sad. That is a bold haiku. Bold haiku. Uh, Next up, Dale Keg. (laughs) BBQ in swamp. I will pay admission fee. (laughs) How many growlers? (laughs) That is. uh, Now, does that change your tune uh, for the PK meetup in Dale's backyard, the pool party? Can we have your thoughts, please, now, Dale? <laughs> my, my immediate thought is if there's there's people over, we, what do we excuse ourselves to record a podcast? Do we record it while people are watching in the backyard? You know, these are the production things that go through. Yeah. I couldn't imagine we kind of, anybody wanting to watch the three of us talk live. Oh, can't we create some kind of set outdoors where we're sitting... You know, maybe there's a mic, there's like a speaker system amplifying mm-hmm. our voices. Jonesy, you know, can you imagine the amount of ham game Jonesy would be playing? Oh, God. That night if he's doing a show in front of people. The ham, oh. the ham would be through the roof. I have hung up the ham hocks. That'd be oh, so come much. On. That would be oh, so much be, material for the show. He would be, he would be like Johnny Carson hosting uh, <laughs> in front of all those people, coming up with bits. Yeah. He'd be cracking one-liners in front of people. <laughs> Maybe we have to set up uh, some sort of outdoor panel like uh, like <laughs> you would see at a Comic-Con or something outdoors, though. So Ticks so our wives our can mock us? <laughs> oh, it's like a oh. D&D thing, right, Dale? Right. The mocking would be profuse, <laughs> and you wouldn't be able to break for it because we'd be live. You couldn't break it. You couldn't defend mm-hmm. yourself. It'd be uncomfortable. You so just see them to. talking to each other in the corner. You know, my hair, with that humidity, my hair, Richard mm-hmm. Simmons' hair would just be going bonkers. I mean, your wife is dead on with that. That is Richard. You are young, scruffy Richard Simmons. <laughs> Which I don't, to me, I'm laughing because there's a a bit on Howard Stern. <laughs> 
but nobody probably knows what I'm talking about. But when you, I just picture Richard Simmons screaming the word Gary. <laughs> Makes me laugh. You know what we had on the docket for the next show? Since my wife has not emailed in, so we can't choose any of her picks like I asked her to. <laughs> uh, Private Eye. The digital pay your own price. PKV, right? Yeah. You know, we'll see how it goes. Maybe that'll be the book club. Maybe it won't. Yeah, I'm going to have to start doing the math and see how many weeks of summer, Swamp Thing, volumes. Yeah, plus I'm going to be in San Diego next week, so oh, we're going to record on the night. Oh, God. We'll see everybody next week. Tim Drake his A every time Tim wants to even have a conversation with him. Yeah, but he's on some kind of secret mission. That's why Batman's PO'd. Yeah, it's probably some mission that's going to come through clutch at the end to save the day. Like some anti He's probably like, listen, he's like, listen, I want you to watch the grave of Jason Todd just in case. (laughs) It's really important. I think it might be. Just um, keep an eye on it, Tim. Okay, I have a gut feeling. Friend, uh, friend of the show, David Finn at Red Lantern something on Twitter. He says uh, Batman speaks to Tim Drake like they're like he's breaking up with him, <laughs> 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 like just super short, trying to get him off the phone. <laughs> and I love how you know not too many spoilers here, but Oracle has to be has to get Tim on the line every time. Tim just can't call him up. <laughs> He doesn't have his number. He, everybody's yeah. got Batman's number but Tim. And he's like, guys, can't you just give me Batman's number? And it's, oh, yeah. you know, I better not. It's like Oracle's trying to be that friend. Let me call him for you. I'm, I'll be able to get through to him. I'll be able to get through <laughs> to Bruce Wayne on the phone. <laughs> That's right. Gotham City's I, Bruce Wayne. Says security 192. It's going to be a good, I feel like it's probably going to be worth it, though. Like Batman is giving him a big job. Hopefully. I wonder if Raz Al Ghul shows up at any point. Oh, speaking of which, did you walk through the evidence room? And maybe this happened in the previous game, but he goes over to the sword that, like, Talia used, and you you can go up to all the, like, relics. It's like a museum in the Gotham, the GCPD evidence room. And one of the relics is Talia's sword. And when you go over to that and hit the button, all he does is, like, put his hand on it, and he's like, Talia... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then he goes to the next one. Uh, so was she a part of a previous game? I I can't remember. I don't think so. Yeah, she is was in she? Arkham City. Uh, yes. I, I, I only sure? got through. <laughs> oh, kidding, no, Dale. Jeez. No, you're not. You know, I know you're the, the bad expert. The Venom. You're just PS4 came through the PS3 screen. over there. But I do know certain things. <laughs> Robin was also in that, too. Yeah. Don't take my word for it. Listen, do you just want me to shut this laptop down 
so you can just just play like three hours of of Arkham Knight, try to get to like fifteen percent complete, and then maybe just ooze it out of your system. Mm. Just ooze it, it out. Out of spite, I'll, I'll play even less of it now. <laughs> 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 it doesn't bother Jesse's me. Just going to be done. Just going to be it done by sunup tomorrow morning. Sunup, he's going to be tweeting about the reveal, and he's going to be—I don't know what he's going to be doing. I'll probably mute him tonight. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be—he'll be, he'll be like, oh, I was—I was so close. I was almost there. I had to keep going. Some <laughs> birds are chirping. You hear that uh, weird steam whistle thing that I hung over, lead, still drunkenly woke up to, passed out in his truck. There's this weird chirping sound in his neighborhood he puts his his up his job up and on like a on a fan that's oscillating in his room <laughs> that's why he's getting these step counts up so high i put it on a stray animal in my neighborhood and just you know <laughs> call him back how did uh joker die in the last game or the game before it i want to say he injects himself with this uh the bane venom uh, extract that he's got, and it's so much he kind of like over overdoses and expires. How about um, that's that the little secret uh, chamber that Batman's been keeping that he showed Gordon. Did you get to there yet, uh, Dale? Mm, say again. The uh, when he in the clock tower. I don't know if it was in the oh, clock. Yeah, and the uh, there's like one cell open. Yeah, yeah. I I saw the one scene where he's like, he should be here soon. When there was one which, cell remaining, which is open. weird because when I, when he said that, I, thought I it was figured that it was Jason Todd. And then in my head, I was like, well, maybe it's Batman, because later when he's having a hallucination with Joker, Joker says something about like when I injected you with my blood, and I was like, oh, maybe he's the the missing person. Jonesy, do you remember that? Yeah, I I got that too. I thought that maybe he was referring to himself because he still was in that like fear toxin fever dream. So maybe mm-hmm. he was talking about himself that and because there oh wait, never mind. Uh I can't spoil that. But it also I think it could be the secret mission that Tim is on. Is oh, to maybe find he's the like, fifth you person. need to kill me? Yeah. Oh. I was thinking maybe like you just hang hang tight and murder me if I get too nutty. Yeah, because <laughs> maybe that, I, I that is a pretty important be, mission. I thought he was like going to never so subtly break to Jim Gordon that he, he was going to have to detain Jim Gordon, <laughs> and like that cell was for him. But that wasn't the case. There's uh, yeah, see, there's, there's a few other scenes. Maybe you're this is what you're thinking about. But like Batman talks about his successor. Yeah, in in various parts, and he's like willing to discuss it. Yeah, that was very Alfred. strange. I don't know if that was a that might be a red herring. I think it is too, but it's almost like a red herring, like tip of the hat to Batman comic readers. Yeah, like nudge, nudge, get it? Like all the Azrael, the the one Azrael fan that's alive in the world today. <laughs> He's like creative director of Arkham City. Can we fit in an Azrael bit <laughs> at some point? Uh, I there's a, a Be, scene I really though, wish you guys were at because it adds a lot to that previous theory about what, between who the, about who's who the, the missing fifth, person. Yeah, but I can't talk about it. So, how far? What storyline is it at? Is it the main one? Oh, it, yeah, it's the main storyline. 
how far after he looks to find out where he's broadcasting from because I'm there. Probably you'll go through one cycle and Ugh. complete, and then the next cycle after, cycle after you meet up with Nightwing completes this scene. I don't even know about. you met up with Nightwing. Shh, it's my bad. I mean, that's not a spoiler. Uh-huh. He's like a playable character, I think, when you go to Hot Topic and get a tank top. <laughs> <laughs> how do you change bat skins, by the way? Jonesy, do you know how to do that? No, and I have because I, my wife got me a uh, for Father's Day some kind of special pack, the Serious Edition, that comes with a pack of skins. But I, I think maybe you have to it's complete the, the game. It's got to be the main menu, right? Yeah, in Arkham City, and Dale, correct me if I'm wrong, but after you completed the main storyline, that was the only time you could change skins, I think. Hmm. I was, I was, I thought, his, I think his suit is actually pretty badass. His, I texted Dale the other day. I think it's the, the best iteration of the bat suit in any medium besides comic books. Yeah, because like you, the Batman, Chris Nolan trilogy kind of has it, and then the. Batman vs Superman just like does away with all that stuff. He's just kind of wearing that like almost chain mail thing. Yeah, this like there's not kind of that movable armor. I love that armor that he's got in this game. Arkham Knight, this is the suit. Like this is the bat this is the fully realized bat suit. And they wouldn't be able to do this suit in comics because you'd have to draw all those lines. It'd be so annoying. Yeah, it would be impossible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be a nightmare. But just the Though way, I got the, like his. In my edition, I got a super tiny, thin comic of Batman: Arkham Knight number zero. Mm-hmm. Does he have the suit in it? It's drawn. Yeah. That guy probably quit after that first issue. Steven Segovia. That if that's the first issue of the digital first series, that art is very Capullo-ish. You we'll guys just are? wait and wait until Dale continues uh, finishes yeah, the book. It's it's. It's not quite to the degree of uh, the the game, but the the, the chest oh, plates there. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not bad. Maybe that's a different book I'm thinking of. This is issue zero, though, so maybe it's okay. There you go. There you have it. Arkham Knight. <laughs> Great game. Let's wrap it up. Got a lot of long editing night tonight. Goodbye, everybody. Best twelve percent of game I ever finished. And then started watching Band of Brothers on Blu-ray again.